I just want to jump in really quickly to ask a very important favour. We know that most of you who listen to No Bullshit Leadership haven't yet hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite podcast player. This is how the podcast grows. And even though we've already got a pretty decent global following, we're only scratching the surface of what's possible. We started this podcast over five years ago with the lofty ambition of improving the quality of leaders globally. So if you've got any benefit at all from listening to the podcast, I'd ask you to just take a moment, literally a moment, to hit the subscribe or follow button on your favourite player. The world needs more no-bullshit leaders, and you can help us to make that happen. Back to the episode. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership, or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar, and he still has a few opportunities available. Now, you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 181 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode... Leading with EQ, an interview with Aman Asadi. Today, we go deep. Last year, I was a guest on Aman Asadi's podcast, Flow. What I learned from that experience is that Aman is one of those rare individuals who's truly able to shift your perspective and change the way you view the world. Today, he joins us on the No Bullshit Leadership podcast. By way of background, Aman is scary smart. After an early career working for the global giants of innovation like 3M and Google, he set off to carve his own path. When I tell you that he's currently the founder and CEO of Steno, a stealth AI startup, 
CEO of Project Evo and host of the Flow podcast, well, that's really only scratching the surface. He's helped many venture-backed startups, celebrity thought leaders, social media influencers, pro athletes, and New York Times bestselling authors to generate tens of millions of dollars using his strategies. In this interview, Aman talks about knowing yourself, understanding your style and the dominant elements of your personality. Well, it's a great place to start. It's fundamental to developing your EQ. But what I really love about this episode is our discussion about the difference between success and fulfillment. If you haven't worked this out yet, it could very possibly change the trajectory of your career. So let's get into it. It's a great pleasure to welcome to No Bullshit Leadership, Aman Asadi. Aman, so good to have you on the show, mate, because I was a guest on your podcast, Flow, a little while ago. Loved our conversation, and I know you're going to bring so much to the No Bullshit Leadership audience. So how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be on No Bullshit Leadership. I'll never get tired of hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We had a good chat about it at the time, so uh, mm-hmm. I know today's is going to be just as good. But you bring some elements to leadership and the way you are as a person that I think are really extra to what I would do and really look at uh, a broader, deeper perspective of the leader. So can you talk us through a little bit about that? You know, my obsession, Marty, has been really understanding myself. And when you go down that rabbit hole, (laughs) um, I think where you land is in a place where you finally are able to put language to these elusive parts of yourself that you didn't have language for before. And what language ultimately provides is some sort of a construct and a framework. Without it, I have found that we are lost. And oftentimes we're trying to... um, get a grip on who we are and what we do best. And such a basic phrase like, who am I, is one of the most ancient questions of all time. And yes, I have this very philosophical disposition, which guides me and uh, enables me to ask these deeper questions and go down these rabbit holes to better put together the language, the constructs, the frameworks that I need to understand who I am. But one of the ironic benefits of this process as well when it comes to leadership in general and just being the best version of myself, which is a very trite phrase overused in the personal development and leadership world, of course. But we all aim for that. We all aim to meet our potential. We all have an innate potential that we either are aware of or completely distant from and we need to tap into. But one of the byproducts of this is that it turns us into incredible leaders because then by the process of understanding ourselves, we understand other people. We're able to realize that we're all way more similar than we thought. And at the same time, we realize that all of the bullshit that's on the surface that makes up who we are is a product of society, our parents, our experiences, the suffering, the criticisms that we've gone through in our lives And that enables you to understand people at a much deeper perspective. In other words, empathy. The empathy muscle gets worked, not by focusing on the other person, but by focusing on the self and understanding that idea, that simple idea that we all are in our own individual battle and that there's layers and layers and layers of shit that we need to uncover. And what that does is when I see somebody freak out at work or throw their pen across the table or yell at somebody at Starbucks my judgment goes from judgment to curiosity. It's that simple. I become curious. 
what's going on with this person? What's really happening here? How can I help them? How can I bring, how can I help them remove some of this bullshit that's on their surface? Because it's not my job to be their therapist. Don't get me wrong. But just by understanding that, I can have enough empathy to become curious, to enable this person to ask the right questions of themselves the same way I did to then become the best version of themselves as a leader. And I see everybody as a leader. All right, Aman, I love the way you've described that, particularly the curiosity piece instead of rushing to judgment, to wonder what's going on for a person. And what I found in leadership is that when you see these people who explode under what would seem to be a disproportionate reaction to the amount of pressure they're, they're under, it's really the sign of the fact that it takes so much energy to keep the facade up. It takes a huge amount of energy to stay <laughs> in control if that's not what's happening for you internally. And so I see this as being a massive mismatch between the face you put on for the world and who you really are and how you feel. Is that, is that something that you've seen? Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. And, you know, there's this concept of bringing your whole self to work. I think that's cool. I think there's a, a space for that and an argument for that. I do think that there are certain things that we need to uh, maintain a certain level of personal privacy around. It's just healthy um, because when you bring too much of yourself to work, you start to feel like, you know, a family like you described to me. And I think that if we bring too much of that uh, sloppy energy and this, oh, everyone will accept me. I just need to bring all of my shit to work and talk about my problems and, you know, completely remove the facade and turn it into a relationship. I think we're going to get into sticky territory. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah it, gets, it, gets, it gets ugly real fast when you've got the yeah. family You got to be comfortable. You got to be cool. You got to build relationship. You got to get to know people. And that doesn't mean you have to be fake. It just means that there are layers to every human being. The same way in which you're more... Uh, your connection with one friend is deeper um, than with another. It's yeah. the same idea. There's a there's a depth, but you're still the same genuine person. And I think you're absolutely right. That facade uh, actually makes people feel incredibly disillusioned, incredibly disillusioned, incredibly depressed. Uh, in fact, I think that I carried a bit of a facade in my first uh, sort of big time corporate job at 3M where I tried to, to fit into the culture too much. And I was this rebellious young guy and there wasn't a space for me to be a nonconformist and my ideas were not accepted. And so I needed to fit a mold. And I think I would have been better suited to just actually be a bit more myself and be a bit more of a contrarian. And sure, that would have caused problems and I would have eventually figured out it wasn't the place for me. But at least throughout that time, I would not have been disillusioned as much. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. And and in the early part of your career, you had obviously quite a bit of success before you changed path. How old were you or how young were you when you actually made that realization? Because for many of us, mm. it either comes very late in life or not at all. Yeah, how old was I? <laughs> Mid-20s, I think, uh, when I realized, you know, I've got to go a different path. And it's actually funny. So I was at Google and I absolutely loved it for the first year. It was incredible. I was in the right organization. I had the right boss. She was just so cool. She saw my potential. She knew how to work with me. She had no ego. Then I switched departments and organizations and didn't have the best boss. We didn't have the best understanding of each other. She didn't give me a chance. It was too much. You know, that it was the opposite situation. It was like taking this person with a lot of potential who wanted to make a tremendous impact 
and then being like, nah, I just need you to do this. Can you just, can you just do this? And <laughs> yeah. so for me, this idea of like, no, I'm going to be a top, you know, I'm going to work my way up at Google. I'm going to be an executive. I'm going to make a huge impact here. Suddenly came crashing down. My image of myself came crashing down. And that can be very challenging for a person because we're talking about identity here. And I'd always known that I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I just thought, and I had this story that I needed to put, you know, a long time, decades in to the corporate world or the work world in general to gain enough experience to do it. But you know, life is funny when your back is against the wall and you don't have a choice and you feel like nothing is working in, in your favor and life is telling you to leap, you leap sometimes. And if you don't leap, sometimes I believe life starts to get more painful and remind you of what you really need to be doing, which is working in the direction of your personal whatever you'd like to call that, your truth, sure. your destiny, your, your, however you want to take that. And I think for me, I said, okay, enough is enough. And uh, I, I made that leap. And yes, I think I was successful, was making fantastic money. I uh, felt good, but it changed so quickly. And I didn't like that, Marty. I hated that I and my inner happiness and my state of being was a was so uh, attached to my outer world. In other words, as soon as my outer world suffered a bit and became challenging, I suffered internally. So I had to ask myself why. And I realized it was because my alignment with my inner and outer world of what I really wanted to be doing, who I really wanted to be, was, was a mismatch. And so since that time, don't get me wrong, it hasn't been blissful and easy and, and unicorns. But the challenges that I go through externally feel worth it to me now. Yeah. It's yeah, not a disillusionment that. anymore. It's a sense of deep fulfillment that my suffering is worthwhile. And that's been the last decade of, of, of building and starting and scaling businesses. Which is fantastic. And I know you make this very clear distinction between meaning and fulfillment as opposed to success and happiness. And they're very, very different things. So you can have some sort of success and happiness without finding that meaning and fulfillment. And I think, you know, the old um, Thoreau quote that, you know, most men live lives of quiet desperation. I think that Ooh. really, really sums it up quite a bit. Now, you definitely move to the more psychological, spiritual, um, mental approach to leadership, which I think is absolutely awesome. And you're a student of Carl Jung. And Jungian mm -hmm. philosophy and individuation, which uh, I must admit I haven't read since I was probably twenty-three. So, uh, but but the concepts there really underpin some of the things that you do and that your business does. So, do you want to talk about why that? Like why that as opposed to anything else? Because I think I think there's a really specific element to that that is so useful to connect with. Yeah. Um... You know, the reason I turned toward Jung and his work is because I was desperately seeking a solution that could bring in some sorts of psychological concepts into this space of understanding the self. And when I went down that path, I realized there's a ton of different models, of course, um, and many of these are ancient and many of these are modern, but a lot of them I found fluffy. I found them to be backed without any form of science or psychology, um, and they were overly woo-woo. 
and 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 like spiritual, not in the best sense, but in the sense of like this is kind of a con. Um, but when I turned toward Jung, what I found was an incredible balance between science and spirituality. He was a strange guy. He was a very <laughs> yeah. strange guy, and he was off the charts brilliant. And I think that he's been dismissed and continues to be dismissed because a lot of what he talks about is beyond what we can understand and measure empirically with the tools that we currently have through science, particularly the uh, psychological types, which create the personalities as we see them today. And the only other mechanism toward understanding personality that I really have enjoyed is the big five model. You know, how conscientious are you? How neurotic are you? And being able to scale and look at that across gender and look at that across societies and understand different people and yourself, you know, in comparison to others. And that's actually yeah. a beautiful thing. I really like that. But Jung took it to a deeper place and he actually never really intended for this to become um, anything more than a, a series of patterns and a way to understand other people. Because that was what he was seeking, was a way to understand other people through himself. Let me create these models. As he sat down with countless patient after patient after patient, he just started noticing these patterns. Like they were doing deep psychoanalysis. But what he found was like, wow, okay, this person seems to have a disposition toward extroversion. And the style of extroversion is one in which they make decisions externally like yourself, which we can get into later. Um, or this person seems to have an extroversion that is rooted in people and creating harmony and gaining energy by being around other people like myself um, and or the vice, vice versa for people that are more internal. And I found that extremely useful because I needed a way to make sure the reality here is, Marty, I had a problem. My problem was I was at the top of my game and I was supposed to be in my dream job, but I didn't like it and I was sad. <laughs> and that's ridiculous yeah. to me. I was like, this is ridiculous. How do I prevent myself from climbing the ladder of success for the rest of my life only to achieve everything I wanted to achieve and perpetually be stuck in an endless loop of unfulfillment? Like, I can't let this happen. I can't let this happen. And that's what led me to all of this. It was like, I need a new sense of alignment and understanding of myself that is rooted in something way beyond the conventional notions of success. For sure, for sure. And there's this concept of climbing the ladder and getting all the way to the top only to find out that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. And that's not a, that's not, not a good place to find yourself. It's a long way from there to the next wall. Oh, yeah. um, so, so when we talk about the assessment of these different types that Jung was talking about. And um, I did take your elements assessment yesterday, uh, which was very interesting. So as I found out, I am a determined oracle. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that and reading through what that means and what the results are and what my preferences are and how I operate and how I think, I found it intriguing. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you came up with that? Because it's, it's genuinely great proprietary stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm standing on the shoulders of a giant um, with Jung, and I've built on that um, deeply. Um, the crafts component of the elements assessment that you saw is completely created by my, my team and I. And what happened is, I, as I said, I kind of 
turned toward that direction. And I started to seek help. Who is really deeply immersed in this space that can help me? And I, I found someone who's an absolute brilliant, you know, off the charts expert um, and had been doing this himself, working individually with people, just doing little type analysis, you know, meet with me, we'll talk about your type. And I said, hang on a second. We need to utilize what you know, what I know, what I want to create for myself. And ultimately, again, Marty, this started as I need something for myself, but I ended up turning this into assessment. And four and a half years later, we built something that I'm very proud of at this point. And it's just one of my projects, right? This assessment, but I had to do it. And I was like, if I'm going to do it and I'm going to deeply understand myself and my team and the people around me, we might as well make this accessible to other people. And it, and it took, of course, 10 times longer than I thought it would. You know, <laughs> I thought does. this whole project would take six months. It took four, four and a half years. But look, it's a beautiful thing because now I'm turning it into a book. I'm going to make this accessible to the world. And I fundamentally believe it's better than anything else that's out there because no one was willing to put in four and a half years into this. No one was willing to sit down and have countless interviews with every single type, every single determined oracle to ask them, hey, this sentence right here. How does this resonate with you? Because again, we're taking something that is psychological or behavioral and saying, does this sentence of words, which is like ape noises, resonate <laughs> with you? <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, sure. and it's like, yes, no, a little more this way, a little more that way. I mean, I'm talking about a level of detail to words. Specific words have been changed and upgraded and and throughout this entire journey. And, and it doesn't end. We'll continue to. And this book that I'm writing, Unleashed, is only going to make the work even better because more people, more access, more feedback. It's a constant feedback loop. So um, sure. I, I'm really proud of this, this project. And um, I think it's only in the very beginnings of what this will do for individuals, but also organizations that we're working with and organizations that will discover it and bring it in. Because it's very different than your typical sort of business personality assessment in the sense that our focus is not just on like, yes, we, I fundamentally care about everyone being in the right seat about bringing out the best in each individual and understanding your team to maximize productivity and efficiency and performance. Like that's obviously what this is about for organizations, but it's more holistic, if you will. Right. It's, it's, it's much Mm -hmm. deeper in the sense that like the goal here is to make this person thrive. If they are aware of these things and they do these things and we understand that an organization can't have like one very defined inflexible culture and actually the culture needs to be one in which we understand what brings the best out of Marty, what brings the best out of Armand, allowing Armand to go sit outside with his basketball and do his Zoom meetings in the sunshine versus this other person who doesn't mind being in a cubicle all day. I think that's going to change the game. Yeah, it it very well could. So. So let's just play with this for a minute, Aman. Um, tell me about me and tell me about you in terms of the types. <laughs> so, so I'm, a, as I said, determined oracle, determined with an asterisk. So that's my dominant. Uh, just tell me a little bit about how you and I compare. Yeah. So I am a relational architect. Right. And you are a determined oracle. Um, so we'll talk about determined and relational. Both determined and relational are extroverted parts of your compass, as we call them. These are externally facing functions. Determined people are all about making decisions quickly, rapidly, no bullshit. How ironic. (laughs) (laughs) And the majority of CEOs in the world are, have determined somewhere in their 
in their elements. And again, these are your elements, right? So the determined function is incredibly, incredibly useful. Um, these people move fast. They don't like to necessarily waste a lot of time with their decisions. Um, ironically, again, another thing you talked to me about in our you know, interview, when I interviewed you, speed, right? Speed is an inherent part, an inherent value of a determined person. Now, the oracle part of you is a wonderful balance because the oracle part of you is abstract. It allows you to be creative and go to that space. And the oracle part of you supports the determined part of you. So actually, what this is, is that, yes, you make decisions quickly, but these decisions and these ideas are coming from a very abstract place full of possibility. You're able to see things in a very different way than someone who thinks linearly like I do. Uh, does you 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 view the world as malleable, as uh, uh, full of full again full of possibilities and everything that you experience in your mind. Your mind looks more like a constellation of stars versus mine that might look more like a filing cabinet. And that's right. what the architect is. <laughs> yeah, the right. architect is probably going to be the most organized person in the room, oftentimes uh, the most reliable person in the room. They tend to be very hardworking. Some of them are workaholics. Um, you know, they got to be careful about that. So what the architect really needs to thrive is, yes, they need order because the order helps them make decisions and they have great, you know, abilities to go, oh, yeah, John, who lives in Sydney, is married to Shelly and that's in my CRM. I know exactly where that is. I'm going to go pull that out and their dog's name is Rufus. I'm going to send them their favorite cookies. <laughs> you know, it's stuff like that. Come on, and, up, man. And, Who calls their dog Rufus? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the architect is a very reliable, very organized, very process-driven person. Right. But here's what's interesting about me is my sort of main element is the relational part. So I love people. You know, I love yeah. creating relationships. I love this conversation. I love the ability to go and get outside and meet people and 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 just chop it up and and get to know people. So my architect supports my relational. So it is important what order they're in, but we all have these elements. There's also the alchemist and the explorer. And we could talk about that stuff for hours, but that's how you and I at least compare. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's really good. Now, I have this theory that anyone can be a good leader regardless of their type or how they describe themselves or how they uh, have their personal preferences for behavior and so forth. How does this fit in though? when you try and convert this to leadership styles and the uniqueness of an individual's leadership fingerprint once you understand these styles? Yeah, great question. Um, first of all, I definitely agree with you. I, I think that regardless of personality type, anybody can be a fantastic leader if they want to be. If they have that desire to lead people, and, um, and, and in some sense, I think everybody is a leader in the sense of the example that they set, right? For others, their colleagues, like that is a form of leadership for sure. But if you're leading an organization and you have the desire to, you can be one of these types that doesn't have the strongest disposition and desire toward it. But a lot of these parts are also behavioral and that's where the crafts come in. So say you are um, a compelled explorer. And a compelled explorer is very different from you and I, even. A compelled mm. person, um, all of their decisions are happening internally. 
And so this is a person that's thinking constantly about their gut and their values. And the explorer part of them is creative, is fun, is all about maximizing fun. Honestly, that's literally all it comes down to. And these people tend to be artists. They tend to be photographers. They tend to be wonderful, visionary people. Um, But it's not necessarily the person you go, yeah, that person's like, you know, CEO, you know, sort of like classic material. But maybe they are a wonderful CEO because their crafts, which is the other part of this assessment, is maybe they have strong chief. Maybe they have strong mentor. Maybe they really do have a desire to work with people and lead with people, uh, lead people in general. And it's absolutely something that they can do and do well. And I think that's why the landscape is basically set up in a way today where like, if you have that desire and you have that disposition toward leading people, um, you end up creating a very different style of organization. You know, an organization, so a great example of an explorer leader is Richard Branson. Richard Branson doesn't touch anything. (laughs) How many companies does this guy have? He's got a, he's a billionaire running way too many companies, but guess what? You know why he can run all those companies? He's not doing it. He's not doing any of the work. He's at work. He's playing all the time. He's got his island. My friends have been, I haven't been yet to Necker Island. He's always on his island. He's playing, he's jet skiing. He's surrounded by beautiful women. <laughs> no disrespect to his, you know, his family or wife, but that's true, right? It's like, that's what we all see. Sure. And he's just playing around tennis, swimming, I mean, he he knows how to have put himself in a position to exercise his superpower. Surely does. And the rest happens for him. So there's a very different style of organization versus the one that I might build. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, for, for sure. Although to give me his due, like he did, he did the hard yards early on and he built the Virgin brand. Mm-hmm. And so once you've got the Virgin brand and you start plugging in like any sort of, you know, conglomerate, you start plugging in, you know, cell phones and, you know, finance products and all the other things that can be plugged into the brand, airlines, you know. All yes. of that plugs in once you've got the brand that is reputable and has such a brand identity for, you know, fun, thumbing its nose at the man, you know, doing all those sorts of things. And that, that totally comes from do. him, which is the coolest yeah, part. Totally. So it's like, there you go. Like, look at that. The explorer that wants to have fun has injected, has created a company where he creates experiences for people. Absolutely. Like, wow. <laughs> Absolutely. It's an awesome. We could talk about that one all day too. Mm-hmm. So I'm on, this is super interesting, right? But when we start thinking about people who find themselves in leadership positions, and as you said, if someone wants to be a leader, regardless of their type, they can be, but many people don't, and they just find themselves there because they needed the promotion, the kudos, the money, the title, whatever it is. What happens when someone who is not designed to be a leader and doesn't have the will to be a leader finds themselves in that role? Do you see that all the time? I see it pretty often, especially today, Marty, where we're pushing people into roles because we think it's the right thing to do. Um, I think it's, 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 uh, it's, it's good. It sounds good. It feels good. Um, we think we're helping that person. I don't think we're helping that person. No, I think, no, I think meritocracy is a, is a wonderful thing. I think people should, uh, we need to create an equal playing field in terms of opportunity. And that's it. I don't think we should be getting more involved than that. I think opportunity is a wonderful thing. I would like to have the same opportunities as every single person on this planet. And that is a beautiful idea. But outside of that, I think we take it too far. I think that person's going to be, uh, actually could be extremely detrimental to that person um, in the sense that they could have been very successful. And then all of a sudden they feel like a piece of shit. 
because they're just like, I suck at this. I'm no good at this. I shouldn't be here. And they keep trying to become something and someone they're not. And actually, it could end up being working against them. And they take two steps down instead of one because they've lost a sense of identity of who they are and what they even do best. Hmm. So I don't know what people should do, but I know what I would do. I would get myself out of that situation right away and go back to, to who I am and what I do best. Not everybody needs to be in those positions. No, that's right. Not to mention the loss of confidence that comes when you do something you're not good at. Big time. That can really mess you up. <laughs> There's coming back from it. If you're in that position right now, I wouldn't worry. I would just cut, you know, rip the Band-Aid off. Um, you know, just start working back toward who you really are and, and be happy with that. And it's not about, what is it really about? Is it about title? Come on. Is it about money? Nah. You can earn money so many ways. Mm. You can get a title. You can get, you can get a sense of recognition so many ways. As long as you, as you've talked about this in your work, as long as you understand how you're making an impact to your organization and you understand why you show up to work every day and what the role is, you're good. You're fine. Yeah. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Because we know that money isn't what's going to give long-term um, satisfaction and that deep sense of fulfillment. We know that that's the case. Otherwise, you wouldn't have so many trust fund babies committing suicide at a young age. So we know that that's not the answer. Yet, so many people spend so much of their time chasing it. And I've done in the past, you know, the next promotion, the next pay rise, the next wad of cash. And it's so wrong in terms of getting to the outcome that you actually should be trying to get to as a human and as a leader and as a person who's making an impact in the world. Um, mm -hmm. And that was, there's, there's no question at the end of that, mate, that was just a little statement. Um, but, but as much as we have people who are in leadership roles who don't want to be in leadership roles, there are a lot of people who are being influenced by leaders or have the opportunity to be influenced by leaders, and they don't particularly want to be influenced. And I see this quite frequently where mm -hmm. I feel as though there might be something I could give to someone as their leader and help them to uh, tread a better path or lead them to a better place because I can see what's going on for them. But basically, you can lead a horse to water, right? You can't make a drink. Are there any techniques that you've used that help people who initially don't want to be led or don't want to change to think about it differently and to open themselves up to the possibility of change? Yeah, that's so funny because I've definitely experienced it. It is frustrating too when you see the potential that somebody has and they're they're just kind of walking down the path a, a little bit to the left or or they're just kind of misguided or they have a, a bloated sense of themselves maybe and, you know, they're not quite ready for the feedback. Um, you know, this sounds ridiculous, but I've been watching this show lately or I, I had watched it and I started kind of utilizing this and I absolutely love it. A show called Ted Lasso. Have you heard of Ted Lasso? I have, but I haven't got onto it yet. <laughs> okay. So it's phenomenal. I highly recommend it. It's the story of a coach, basically a leader, and he's completely out of his element. He has absolutely no idea what he's doing. He's an American coaching football, soccer in England. But the point is the, the technique that he utilizes that I really like, that I found works really great for me, is just subtlety. It's continuing to kind of Keep this really positive attitude toward that person, even when they're being negative and rejecting any level of help and giving them little nudges of questions or comments that make them think. Planting seeds, subtlety, little seeds, little aphorisms, little thoughts, little cute sayings, little, little quotes. I think these things resonate with people sometimes more deeply 
than a long discussion with specific feedback. I think I would love specific dialed in, tell me exactly what I can do better feedback because I'm a detail oriented sort of person. And I'm also extremely open to change and wanting to constantly evolve. Not everybody is that way. So I think that little subtle humor, um, jabs in a playful way, you know, knowing that they're turning you down and still being like, I don't care. Here's a little another jab and just leaving them with something to think about in subtle ways really works well. Yeah. And having not seen, I do have one question from that. Does he have good judgment about the individuals that will work with and the individuals that won't? Does he, does he sort of do different things stylistically with different people? <laughs> yeah. or, or is he one yeah. size fits all? No, he's kind of very, very individualized. But the funny thing is he doesn't give up on anybody. Right. Like even the hardest nut to crack, like his thing that he's aligning toward is I can get into the minds and hearts of anybody. Like his whole game right. is getting them to crack and come around. <laughs> right. Which, yeah. is, which is good. I must, I must confess to never having had that much patience as a leader to give me a limited time frame. It's a, <laughs> it's a real, I tell you what, it is fiction though. So <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, but, that, but that's one of the great challenges of leadership is being able to see someone's potential and then working out how to unlock it is sometimes really difficult. And as you yeah. said before, a lot of this stuff is so locked up in, you know, childhood trauma and, you know, the way people were parented and their, their early relationships that they formed and all the things that, you know, present you as a human where you are in your, you know, later adult years very, very difficult to get through that and make change. Big time. Yeah, mm. massively. Because it's rooted in stuff that is pretty much concrete for most people unless they make the conscious decision to go and work on it. Oh, yeah. and so most people actually are just sitting there going like, there's absolutely nothing that I need to think about or work on. There's nothing wrong with me because it's their MO. Like it's how they've always operated. It's what they know. And instead what they're going to do is make you the problem. They're going to make everyone else the problem. And that's what you commonly see, right? In organizations with people like that, they're just like the one that is generally creating the most drama and being the victim is the one that has not done the process of individuation, of self-discovery, of going into their own psyche and understanding what the hell is going on with them and taking responsibility. That's what it comes down to. We all have to take responsibility for who we are and remove the stuff that is not useful <laughs> and double down on the things that are. And it's not a process of changing either, especially when it comes to my elements assessment and what I fundamentally believe at the root of the philosophy of all this. There's no changing here of come, becoming something you're not. We're actually just removing the layers and becoming who you really are. Uh, for, for sure. It's, it's actually, <laughs> you're exactly right. It's removing all the stuff that's been built up over the years to get to the true you, which is mm -hmm. a completely different philosophy, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to leading with EQ and emotional intelligence, in my view, this is, this is the thing that separates really good leaders because with the EQ comes, as you said before, self-awareness, the ability to reflect, the ability then to not be judgmental because having judged yourself, you're much mm -hmm. more tolerant of what goes on with other exactly. people. And so having that, I call it leading with head, heart, and gut. And for me, that sort of describes the integrated elements you need as a leader if you're going to successfully influence other people. Do you have a view on that from your perspective, from your angle? I just couldn't agree more. Um, and in fact, throughout times in my life, I think I have forgotten 
about checking in with one of those parts of myself. And that typically is where decision-making becomes difficult, where we allow the mind generally to take over. But again, I have a disposition toward the mind because I have that architect side. So I might get caught up in the, in the cobwebs of my filing cabinet, trying to make the best decision from a quantitative perspective. And really what I need to do is probably check in and go, well, what's the temperature here, you know, in my heart? And is my gut saying yes or no? Like, am I warm about this? Am I cold about this? Is this a strong no? Is this a strong yes? Um, So I couldn't agree more with that. I think it's very challenging. But as far as EQ goes, the beautiful thing about EQ is that it's extremely, extremely malleable, unlike IQ, which is still, there. there's a whole school of thought around that. Like yeah. some people are like, no, it's pretty much fixed. And others are like, no, you can, there's certain types of intelligence that you can continue to refine and gain over time. And I, I've seen that. If you do like basic, there's a fun game, by the way, for people that want to work on their memory and IQ called Duel and Back. I believe like from a science perspective, it's the, it's the one thing that can really um, manipulate in a good way your, your IQ and memory skills. It can really improve them, duel them back. But um, you know, EQ is one of those things where that's, that's it. That's why I do the work that I do. That's exactly it because this process creates all of those things. Maximum self-awareness, you, you begin to work on that. Um, a little bit of like, uh, uh, you know, this is another phrase that I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of because it's a little like overused, but like a little self-love, a little grace, a little like take it easy on yourself because then mm-hmm. you can understand like how to take it easy on other people and maybe just guide them in the right direction with very specific feedback versus view it as like they're intentionally trying to disrupt the organization. They're intentionally trying to hurt me. And what you often find, I talk to my wife about this all the time, my friends about it all the time. Those people that are stirring up workplace drama in the organization, oh my God, these people are without a doubt always low in EQ. Nobody that is high in EQ is going to waste time gossiping and bullshitting about other people, about why the decision was made the way that it was made. And yes, we all have our faults and moments where this happens, but generally EQ enables you to move beyond all of that. And you need more people like that in your organization. And I think the best way is to be that. And teach it to actually serve as the example of that in the organization to talk about it. This is something we also talked about. I believe the role of a leader is to constantly teach people why they're making the decisions they're making so that they are thinking like you. Like, guys, look, this is the North Star. This is where we're going and here's why. And here's a difficult decision that I have to make today and here's why. And it's for the good of the organization. This isn't good for me. This isn't good for you. It's good for the organization. Let's remove ourselves out of it. Again, mm-hmm. another factor in EQ. Let's remove ourselves from the equation. So all of these things come together to formulate a great leader, a high EQ leader. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great way of describing it, Arman. Thank you for that. I'm sure our listeners will love that piece. That was, that was excellent. All right, Arman, unfortunately, uh, we're running out of time. I'd love to talk to you all day on this, but how can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing at the moment? So the best place is going to be my website, armanasadi.com. And uh, everything's there, the podcast, my social, all the stuff we're doing. Um, I just launched um, a group mentoring program called the Solopreneur Academy. People can check that out if they want to work more closely with me. Um, But everything's there on the website. And I'm mostly personally spending a lot of time on Instagram these days. So if you want to talk to me, that's the best place to reach out. 
Fantastic, mate. And everyone, don't forget to subscribe to the Flow podcast. It's awesome. Uh, really gives you a different perspective on things. So, Armand Asadi, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate your time, mate. And no doubt we will catch up again soon. Thank you, Marty. You're the man. Appreciate you. All right. So that brings us to the end of episode 181. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Armand Asadi. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with your leadership network and subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. I look forward to next week's episode. What is strong leadership? Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader.